Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Conversations. As always, we aim to bring you a lively discussion with a range of investment specialists. Today's expert is Simon Brown, Portfolio Manager of the Tribeca Australian Smaller Companies Fund. In conversation with our CEO, Damien McIntyre, Simon will share his insights about Aussie's smaller mid-cap stocks and sectors and explain how they've been coping with inflation, rate increases and volatility. We've been talking about silver linings and Simon will let us know whether the recent reporting season showed any signs of silver linings amid our smaller companies. Before I hand over, I need to read this important notice. The information contained in this podcast is general and does not consider your objectives, financial situation or needs. The information and views contained in this update reflect, as of the date of recording, the current opinions of the participants and are subject to change without notice. Before making an investment decision in relation to a fund, investors should consider the appropriateness of this information, having regard to their own objectives, financial situation and needs, and read and consider both the product disclosure statement and any additional information. GSFL Entity Services has produced a target market determination, or TMD, in relation to all of the GSFM funds. The TMD sets out the class of persons who comprise the target market for the various funds, which can be downloaded from our website. This podcast was recorded on Monday, the 4th of September, 2023. Damon Simon, take it away. Thank you, Tracy, and welcome everyone to Silver Linings. The purpose of these podcasts really is to share information with our portfolio managers and you. Our portfolio managers are working in financial markets every day. They're looking at companies every day. They're analyzing lots of information. And hopefully the idea is that they'll provide you with, even if it's only one insight that's helpful for you and your discussions with clients, or even the way you're framing your thoughts about markets, well, it's been a useful exercise. So this episode of Silver Livings, as Tracy outlined, is with Simon Brown. Simon is actually a veteran at Tribeca. I first met Simon in the middle of 2008, which is, or which was, right in the storm of the global financial crisis. And Simon was the Australian Equities Team dealer at that point in time. So Simon, firstly, welcome. And secondly, uh, if I might just start with a question, how did you get into funds management and how did you find your way to Tribeca? Thanks very much, Damo. It's great to be here today. Just to shed a little bit of light on my career trajectory, I was at sort of university doing some reasonably sort of widespread sort of topics of study. And it wasn't until I came across some owning some shares myself, which were bequeathed to me a small amount, which I immediately looked to liquidate to fund my lifestyle at university, but that, that wasn't going to kind of wash with my parents. And, and so I took an active interest in the shares that I had in the share market and made a little bit of money and through some friends at university realized that there was an opportunity within an area of, uh, called funds management where you could actually manage sort of portfolios of stocks and, and get paid to do it. And instantly I was hooked with the idea. I'm a competitive person. It is a very competitive space. Lots of investors out there trying to make money uh, for themselves or make money for others. 
and and being rewarded for doing so. So I set about my path of, of learning how to educate myself and, and get a foot in the door in the uh, funds management industry. And luckily that came at Tribeca, which was Jenkins sort of investment management way back then. David Abel had, had started that business and was running the small cap fund, which was a foundation sort of fund of, of Tribeca 25 years ago. And he took a, a bit of a punt by giving me a shot at, at being the dealer. Now, thankfully, there wasn't a huge amount of experience required to be the dealer. They were going to train me up. As I sort of sit here today, that was sort of 17, sort of 18 years ago. And and I always had the intention, and I, I think I told Dave at the time to, that I wanted to do his job, which he sort of scoffed at. But now I'm working alongside him on the small cap fund, which has been a really sort of rewarding sort of process, I guess. So what was it like during the 08 crisis? And small caps are at the more liquid end. There was moments of really extreme volatility as information was downloaded from the state, the solvency of various banks and other corporations. It must have been a baptism of fire, really, on the dealing desk on some of those days. Yeah, look, I think, Damo, that was probably the phrase I was going to, the cliche that I was going to use to describe it. My own personal investing uh, journey, I guess, you know, I, I had sort of been through that relatively favourable period through sort of, you know, to up until 2008 and, and investing sort of trading for the fund. But the volatility was, was quite incredible. And obviously for sort of a relatively sort of junior person, it, it was definitely nothing I experienced before and, and have experienced sort of moments sort of within sort of periods of volatility kind of since. But it certainly sort of taught me that shares can go down and markets can go down for a lot longer than you think. And I think you've just got to respect that because a lot of the time the sort of markets do go up and they, you know, over time they sort of provide fairly generous sort of returns. But there is sort of probably instilled in me via sort of trading through that period and and seeing how volatile sort of markets could get. A real respect for markets, they can go down and they can go down quite violently and, and destroy a lot of value along the way. Yeah, each and every period of volatility or or correction or however you want to describe it, it's for a different reason. But more often than not, big market corrections or big changes in direction are quite often linked to interest rates. So if we go back to, of course, the share market crash of 87, that was on, on the back of inflation and rising US bond markets, you go through to the financial crisis itself when those structured products or those mortgage funds blew up and that sent tremors through rates markets everywhere. And here we are today where inflation sprinted ahead and central banks all around the world were very quick to jack rates and jack rates high. So with that as the recent action and the recent cause of volatility, what are the impacts that you can see on broader market and also more particularly within the small cap sector? Look, I think as we've sort of seen over the last sort of, where are we, sort of about sort of 10 to 15 years of relatively unconventional sort of monetary policy that followed the 2008 sort of financial crisis, there has been very much the sort of, I guess, the expectation that the sort of reserve banks will be there in times of sort of extreme market volatility with the ability, you know, use monetary policy as a bit of a lever to, to kind of save the, the share market to, 
to some extent. I think this time, for the first time in quite a while, we saw an inflationary burst that wasn't necessarily going to dissipate by itself. And given the, the relatively robust measures that were taken out during the pandemic and provided sort of people with a lot of stimulus and money in their account and consume they did. So I think it, if I was going to sort of start somewhere, it probably unwound, I guess, some of the some of the excesses that might have built up over that sort of long period of sort of very favourable sort of monetary policy and, and quantitative easing. And the most obvious area of that was sort of companies that sort of had existed for a long time, at the very embryonic or sort of early stage business models with sort of no revenues and, and earnings or, or, or had a very long sort of runway to sort of any type of sort of proper cash flows. We obviously saw those names get derated materially and, and, and in the subsequent sort of sort of rebound we've had here in 2023, we haven't really seen those names come back. The cohort at the sort of higher valuation end that have good cash flows perversely remained sort of relatively resilient sort of through that period and gone on to sort of make new highs now. So I think that's sort of one area that was kind of fascinating and it had sort of potentially always going to be an opportunity where the sort of rug got sort of pulled out there in terms of some of those business models. I think if we look at sort of the last 12 months, the obvious impact has been lower valuations via higher sort of interest rates and through applied risk-free rate. And that's pretty much all of them, to be honest, because I went through across such a large range of sort of inputs, such as whether it be raw materials or you were very exposed to labour, they both sort of have gone up sort of materially. Electricity or rents have, have done the same and, and so has the cost of funding in terms of debt. Yeah, management has has a, had a challenging task passing these on to consumers and, and they've had varying le- levels of, of success. The growth has been probably the other one where sort of higher rates and looking to sort of dampening demand and, and restrict sort of liquidity and lending has been very much in the forefront of investors' minds and they're trying to sort of obviously determine how much growth or how much of the sort of decline in growth might impact companies' earnings. And then lastly, you sort of obviously got to capitalise what level of earnings do you need to capitalise and, and, and what's the appropriate level to capitalise those at? So I think it has been quite challenging sort of on that front and it, it always has been as we've seen sort of during those sort of periods of volatility. If we, I guess if we drill, drill down a little bit into the market, you know, some areas have, have ridden that better than others. And if, if we look across broader sectors or, or small and large cap companies in particular, small caps have a tendency to perform poor periods of rising rates and it was definitely no exception this time. They tend to be more volatile. It's it's pretty much a fact. And and that's due to the fact that business models can be less mature and generally reliant on sort of domestic demand in more competitive marketplaces with, with little offshore earning streams to sort of provide you that currency protection. On the other side of the coin, the mid-cap and large-cap names have, have fared relatively better. They tend to be sort of a bit more mature with oligopolistic characteristics in the marketplaces they, they operate in. And that's sort of enabled them to sort of push through those higher costs in the form of higher prices with less elasticity in terms of sort of customer demand, I guess. So how I sort of sum up in the last 12 months. So there's been, initially there was a lot of talk about recession. And then, you know, as the numbers unfolded, the economy showed some pretty reasonable resilience. And now the talk is, or the focus is on a soft landing. So if we are tracking into a soft landing, or that's our anticipation, are there sectors that you think will do particularly well and are there sectors that you would avoid? Yeah, look, that's a that's a great question. Well, I guess if you're looking for sectors that might sort of outperform, you're always 
tend to sort of look across the sectors that have sort of underperformed the, the journey to where we currently are. If you look at some of those, and they've been very sort of, I guess they've been sectors that have been pretty familiar with pre, with previous downturns and, and sort of tightening periods, such as sort of building materials, discretionary has been another area that's underperformed. REITs have done sort of particularly poorly this time on, on much higher rates. However, sort of, there has been a couple of other areas, such as healthcare, which you would have sort of imagined being sort of relatively defensive and, and media. Media has traditionally been an, an area where it sort of exerted sort of defensive characteristics, but it's, it's underperformed. On, on the other side of that, you have sort of energy, which has been a big outperformer. And, and, and look, there has been some extraneous factors there in, in sort of structure of the oil markets and, and Ukraine, while telcos and staples, as you would imagine, have been pretty defensive. At the smaller end, it's, it's less well-defined because it, it tends to be a lot more diverse in terms of the makeup of that market. But look, it has carried larger weightings to discretionary materials, resources, non-bank financials and, and REITs as well, which they've obviously helped get to the point where sort of the small cap market is in terms of sort of the recent underperformance that we've experienced in the last 12 months and, and one of the worst sort of periods in, in the last sort of 20 years for underperformance versus large cap. So we're probably looking towards the sort of other side and, and sort of earnings forecast for the market to actually bottom and then sort of look to take advantage of some of the beaten up sort of areas across sort of some of those consumer spaces, housings an area where we've been sort of a bit earlier on and reasonably positive and not and a number of other sort of stock specific opportunities and probably sort of steering clear of the sort of the supermarkets and the telcos and banks which we don't necessarily invest in in small caps and alongside agri where we we think that struggle to, to keep up with sort of a, um, a more positive view of the outlook for the market now we've just finished reporting season if it's not finished we're horribly close to the end. There was speculation that particularly smaller companies would have trouble with pricing power or passing on the negative impacts of inflation to consumers. Was that a theme? How did that play out? Look, I think that was a bit of a theme across the, the market in general, Damo, because operating margins, if we look across the sort of reporting season, were generally down. However, that was largely consistent across the last 12 months. When you think about it, we, wages have been a bigger headwind this time, but sort of on the contrary, areas that sort of hurt sort of small caps probably in the first half were rising input prices related to commodities. And I don't know if you, everyone's probably heard in anecdotal evidence about sort of how high sort of freight prices went, particularly sort of companies that are importing uh, product into the domestic economy. But these were actually tailwinds this time. So that helped offset sort of some of the other sort of prices that were coming through, rent and sort of electricity prices put up as a result of those supply chain pressures and, and commodity prices e easing. So yeah, generally gross profits sort of held up relatively well, but it, I think within sort of small caps and large caps, financing costs probably the biggest negative that the market failed to factor in sort of appropriately. And despite the fact that interest rates having largely peaked in our view and, and inflation coming down, there is sort of a fixed level of debt out there and, and particularly in the more sophisticated sort of mid to large end of the market where they've got better ability to sort of fix their debt. The rolling of that fixed debt will mean that there's probably an additional sort of headwind to come across interest costs. And so that will sort of play out over the next sort of one to two years and, and provide an incremental headwind to sort of APS growth, if you like. Whereas down in the small companies the balance sheets are in particularly good health with gearing sort of below the sort of average of the last sort of 10 years and we think this provides them with some insulation and the opportunity to deploy those balance sheets into sort of organic and inorganic growth opportunities
It's a really interesting outcome, considering that in, the debt was so cheap for so long. Certainly, you know, many companies in the United States took the opportunity on cheap debt, and they are the, the so-called zombies that exist only because they've had such cheap debt financing. It's sort of interesting to see that that's not that's largely not the case in Australia. That companies' are, balance sheets are in pretty good shape. Yes, it certainly is. Particularly that sort of small cap here, that can be a bit of a risk. As I mentioned before, the sort of it, they do have less access to capital markets sort of debt funding in particular, and they're forced a lot of the time to, to, to go into the equity market to sort of keep funding themselves. So I think there's that inherent level of conservatism and across, discipline. Small, yeah. across small cap companies and, and management teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're right, does force boards and chief executives to be really prudent with the, the cash that they've got on their balance sheet, doesn't it? Yes, and I, and I think we've probably got a business lending environment that where risk taking is is um, less encouraged at sort of a lot of the sort of larger sort of you talk about the big four or five banks where you have had a whole sort of sector or industry of sort of businesses emerge to cater to that business lending market because it's a market that sort of the larger banks have, have pulled back from and I think sort of uh, as opposed to sort of the US where that is a more traditional market for them. Yeah. What are the sectors and maybe some companies that you feel really confident about in the medium term? We've been, I might just start with a, just a quick snapshot of where we were in terms of sort of, we were probably being a little bit more sort of concerned about sort of the consumer finally sort of coming under a bit of pressure. And and that's played out to, to a degree. So we've been sort of, um, you know, very positive on travel given that was the sort of reopening play. But we're, we're interested in, in some of the consumer names. I think when you look at reporting season, as I've talked about, an aggregate demand coming into the market by sort of more overseas students and immigration, we could see sort of demand sort of rebound post sort of a reasonably soft period we saw sort of from about sort of Christmas through to sort of June, July and even into August where sort of volumes are down and, and we have some additional sort of population growth to actually fill up sort of that demand as, as consumers start to sort of guess digest interest rate rises that they've seen, particularly those in, in the mortgage belt across Australia. So that's some of the areas that we, we think are looking particularly cheap with reasonably downbeat expectations sort of priced in. And, and that's um, across some of the housing related exposures and, and some of the auto related exposures where we're seeing sort of some value there. Travel, we think, has probably priced a lot of the recovery in, but, you know, a, co a company-specific name would be Webjet, where we like the fact that, that they should be able to out, keep outperforming space post the, the normalisation we've seen in demand and, and continue to take share in their sort of hotel bed B2B market, like a relatively offensive sort of salary packaging and fleet space where we think investors are still underestimating earnings growth. Names there we favour a sort of smart group and uh, fleet partners. And it's an area which has garnered a bit more attention recently as the government incentives for Novated EBs have become good. We still think they're relatively cheap with a better Ahead. Now, just a general question, and on the same theme, for financial planners who are thinking about changing the shape of their portfolios, do you think it's a, it's a good entry point for small caps? Of course, we do think it's a great point in time for planners and investors of any type to consider small cap. Large amount of underperformance we've seen versus large caps. Now, we've had two, 2022 was one of the worst years, the second worst year in, in 20 years of performance of Australian small caps versus large, and that's continued into 2020. So I think there's little expectation baked into small caps where they are at the 
the moment. And if we look out from here, it has been a very challenging sort of, I guess, decade, decade and a bit since the GFE, where economic conditions and, and financial conditions weren't overly positive or helpful for sort of small cap names. Whereas the sort of resetting of conditions post the pandemic, we think provides for a, a, a lot more of a stock picking environment. And, and when you look at small caps, there is a lot of opportunity within the sector. It's it's a very diverse sector. It very much mimics sort of more of an, a normal economy than sort of large cap stars. And we feel there's lots of opportunities there to find businesses that are growing faster than the market, businesses that are valued lower than the market. And for you to be able to sort of pick up those sort of, I guess, those double benefits of a faster growth and a re-rating in stocks, which should sort of, we think, bring back the uh, performance of small caps sort of relative to large caps sort of over the next few years. That really is the beauty about small caps, isn't it? it? We all accept the volatility at various times in the cycle, but over the long term, investors have always received great alpha from the sector. And particularly if you, if you can choose your entry point, the, the alpha can be outstanding. So it's a great asset class for the long term. But as you said, 22 was a shocker for all market sectors, but small caps, you know, they had a particularly rough ride. So it's great that investors can direct capital to the this market sector with some confidence. I, I just want to ask you about Tribeca and the way you manage money. And, I, and and the small cap sector is quite often populated with highly experienced investment teams. David Aylward is one of sort of the term veteran or, or something similar is bandied around. But David really is one of the veterans of the Australian small cap marketplace. And it's amazing how quickly time has passed. And you've now been working with him for the best part of 20 years. So you know, you, you're, you're approaching uh, veteran status yourself, whether you're whether you want to admit to it. So you guys sort of bring all the experience. And, and the great thing about experience is, of course, context. But over the years, you've, you've had this process that's tried and true. What do you reckon is the best part of the Tribeca process that sets you apart from your peer group? Thanks, Damo. I would have to say the, the risk management and the, the portfolio characteristics test that we run consistently across the portfolio. I think if David was here today, talk about the fact that there there are a lot of sort of processes out there for identifying, you know, good stocks and stocks that are going to grow. But it's how you put all those stocks together to achieve an, an outcome for, for the customer or for the client. And I think sort of having the overlay, the risk overlays that we've got in our portfolio, and it's something David's had there very much from the start. You can be a very successful investor for a period of time and, and think it can be largely about sort of how well you pick stocks. But a lot of the time there is risks that sort of creep in and risk is insidious that creep into to portfolios that you may not be aware of. And then you may have a, a, a change in environment such as interest rates going up and, you know, your portfolio can sort of materially underperform. So I think David, in, in setting up the, the investment process the way he did, he always wanted to create usable alpha for customers. And by usable, I mean having a target for, we've got a target for alpha, but consistently trying to achieve that targeted alpha for clients and not having large drawdowns that mean that sort of, you know, people might lose faith with, with your investment or your, your small cap philosophy. So I think the rigorous nature around which we sort of assess the risks that the sort of portfolio emanates enables us to sort of, you know, truly, truly sort of 
stick to that sort of style neutral label, which means, you know, it doesn't always matter sort of what the sort of macro conditions are like. We're out there sort of able to sort of adjust and deliver the sort of alpha for the clients that, that we say we do, you know, what's on the label. Yeah, that's right. I mean, for the best part of two and a half decades now, David's managed, and of course, in more, not in more recent times, but over the journey yourself as well, has managed a lot of money for institutional clients. And what institutional clients want, they want the alpha, but they don't necessarily want the volatility. And to have a a loyal institutional client base over multi-decades speaks to how well you manage volatility and risk. And I've always believed that retail follows the institutional market. So where we are today in, in the journey with Tribeca is to just make it clear to everyone that sure you can back small cap managers that swing for the fences but as you say you may well end up with lots of unintended bets that you weren't necessarily looking for and you only find it out when you get a 2022 and markets get rugged so to blend Tribeca's sort of risk management prudence along with another manager who sees it differently really is is a great portfolio balancing act. And it's one we're sort of encouraging clients to think about. So look, thank you very much for your time this morning, Simon. I really enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to speaking uh, with you and others at Tribeca uh, next time around. Very much a pleasure, Damo. Thanks for, thanks for the time today. 